Hello and welcome to the Football Outsiders Data Show. Uh, I am your host, Vincent Verhey. Joining me as always is FO contributing writer Brian Knowles. And joining me as not always is fellow FO contributing writer Kale Clinton, filling in today for FO editor-in-chief Aaron Schatz. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Doing all right, doing all right. I've recovered from last night where for about 30 minutes, Bailey Zappi had uh, turned my brain into a pulp. And now I think we're back to some sort of sense of normalcy. <laughs> as normal as we ever get in the NFL, NFL in 2022. Uh, but speaking of normal, I have a perfectly normal ad read that I just remember I was supposed to read here before we started. And I have found it and I'm going to read it now. You know, you can play with us on Underdog Fantasy. Play on, play on Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100 with promo code OUTSIDERS. You know, even with NFL best ball season over, Underdog has other user-friendly game formats to spice up all the games. You can try their Battle Royale, a six-round best ball-style draft with simpler chances to win than traditional daily fantasy sports sites. Or try their Pick'em games, where you can wager on players' chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines, even in states where traditional prop betting currently isn't available. Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy site around. Join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com. Or download Underdog in the App Store and use promo code Outsiders now to double your first deposit. Double your first deposit up to one hundred dollars. So I want to thank Underdog for being a big fan of the, for uh, supporting the show. And on the show, it is the FO Data Show, and the kings of FO Data this week are the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they of course blew out uh, the Bengals, uh, forty-four to twenty. Uh, excuse me, the Forty ers forty-four to twenty-three this week. And again, it was. Not as close as the score would indicate. Uh, Brian, tell me a little bit about how Kansas City's offense uh, nearly set un- unprecedented uh, achievements here. Okay. So let, let me start with a bit of a personal story. You say it wasn't as close as the score uh, said. That's probably true. My power went out at halftime. At halftime, this was a close competitive game. It was a, it was a one-score game. There was things going back and forth. I was really looking excited. I was really excited to see uh, what was going to happen in the second half. My power goes out. It comes back on just after the game. I boot everything up to see what happened. Oh, the 97 ripped to shreds. The <laughs> only eight games since 1981, when our data begins, has a team put up an offensive DVOA of over 100%. The, Chief, the Chiefs on Sunday were the eighth team to do that with a DVOA of 103.5. It is the, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, it is the sixth best offensive performance we have ever recorded. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, as you know, it was a 14 to 13 lead for Kansas City at halftime, razor thin, and then uh, 30 to 10, the Chiefs outscored San Francisco in the, in the second half. What impresses me most about this, uh, we, we have our list here. Uh, it went up on Monday, the DVOA, DVOA preview of our best offensive games since 1981, including the playoffs. And... Kansas City now has three of the top six games. Uh, the, the, the number one game of all time was a 124.2% Kansas City over Cleveland uh, in week nine of 2018. The final score there was only 37-21. And what happened there essentially is that uh, the Chiefs had a lot of offensive holding penalties that put them in third and long. But then they overcame those third and longs. And so DVOA liked that. But uh, there's that game at number one. This game this weekend at number six. And then a Trent Green era game uh, from 2003, week 15, a 45-17 demolition 
of the Detroit Lions. So uh, for those of you younger fans, I, uh, younger fans may not remember the Dick Vermeil era Chiefs, but it was basically first team to 35 points wins every week. And uh, that team got to 35 points. Uh, Kale, did you see this game? Did you have any any special thoughts on it? I don't get how this keeps happening. 49ers jump out to a 14-3 lead, which apparently is right where the Kansas City Chiefs want to be every game. Patrick Mahomes, I think, is now 13-9 in games where he's trailing by 10 or more, which is a ludicrous statistic. Uh, Just truly one of the best quarterbacks I've ever seen. Uh, The offensive production that we've seen out of the combination of Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, I'm not sure how many times we'll ever get to see something like this again. It's it's incredible to watch. And they just keep doing it with different people. What will get into it but multiple chiefs skill position players had opportunities today uh you know isaiah pacheco gets to start and then ends up getting less touches than he's had at any point throughout the rest of this year they just keep finding different ways to win the loss of tyree kill outside of the occasional ever-reliant deep shot has meant pretty much nothing to this chiefs team because as long as you have patrick mahomes andy reed and a little bit of touch of Travis Kelsey, you're pretty much golden. Also, do want to add, you mentioned the third down statistic. Kansas City pretty much lapping the, not lapping the league, but has created considerable distance in offensive DVOA on third and fourth down, leading the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Buffalo's in second, 45.7% DVOA. Uh, from offense on third and fourth down, Kansas City, 57.2% DVOA. It's, this team is a buzzsaw, and I don't know who outside of Buffalo can really stop it at this point. What was amazing to me watching the game was just uh, how strong the uh, Chiefs' offensive line was against Niners' pass rush, because the Niners still have one of the best pass rushes in the league, and they got shut down almost entirely. I mean, yeah, there were, there, were, there were more than a fair share of holds and whatnot on Bosa that got flagged, but that happens every week. And usually what happens is everyone focuses on Bosa so much that every, all the other guys can get pressure. That didn't happen. All the, way, all the way across the line, the Chiefs just shut down the Niners' pass rush. If the Niners aren't getting pressure, they're not winning. And, you know, and, and you're not pressuring Mahomes. Mahomes just had all day to pick apart the, the second day. It was, a, it, it, was a, it was a clinic. It was an absolute clinic. Yeah, Kale, uh, you mentioned uh, Patrick Mahomes' record when he's down by 10 points or more. This is completely insane what I'm about to tell you, but I'm it's the truth. The winningest quarterbacks since 2019, so last three-plus years now, you have Patrick Mahomes overall at 79%, Aaron Rodgers at 73%, and then Patrick Mahomes only in the games when he is trailing by 10 points or more at over 70%. No, <laughs> you 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 can't kill the Chiefs. That's that that's you know like you, you don't, it doesn't matter how many points you have. You're not the game's not over until the no. clock's at zero. There is no, no lead, which is safe against the Kansas City Chiefs. No, There's no you should have gone for the head. It's I don't yeah. like I don't even know what the the model is. Either you just stay real close and just trade blows with them or you mount historic comebacks. Because if you jump out to an early lead, 
seven times out of ten, you're pretty much toast. <laughs> you're toast. You're right where they want you. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, 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 it's always kind of been this way, but uh, social media has only amplified it. But we like to search for the negative and try to drag, uh, at least, well, in all, in all uh, uh, forms of entertainment and, and life, but especially in sports, we try to poke holes in the best athletes and try to drag them down um, for whatever reason. And people are doing, people do this with Mahomes. We get emails all the time from uh, uh, skeptics, I guess, trying to say, can, can you verify that Patrick Mahomes is lucky with dropped interceptions? The answer he's, is he's not. He, some of his interceptions get dropped as much as any other quarterback. His, his adjusted interceptions every year are right in line with his total number of interceptions. He's, he's, he really is this good, people. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Uh, you can't accept that Patrick Mahomes is the best. You're just living in denial. Yeah. He and, may not uh, be the MVP this year, but he's still the best quarterback. And those, those are two, diff- two different categories. Al- Josh Allen's having the better year. I would still say Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL and the best quarterback we've seen in a long time. We've had four or five years of evidence at this point. If you yeah. if yeah. you can't get it through at this point, you're pretty much just in denial. Yeah, he, yeah. Just to put it into perspective, uh, Mahomes had 400 yards and three touchdowns against the Niners. This is the eighth game he's done that in his uh, I think it's 70 starts now. There are only four more pl- four players who had more 403 games than Mahomes. That's Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Dan Marino, and Tom Brady. And those guys all started 200 plus games. Mahomes only started 70. He's still going. It's, yeah, it's really unfair. Um. <laughs> Mahomes also barely squeaks in as the youngest player to ever put that up. Brady hit his eighth game with such a statistic line at 40 years old. Manning did it at 34. Breeze also did it at 34. Marino did it at 27 and 38 days. Mahomes did it at 27 and 36 days. Just <laughs> barely under the wire by the luck of a calendar. <laughs> yeah, uh, we have this detail here. Here's some uh, uh, very fine uh, cherry-picked endpoints, but hey, that's what the show is all about. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes threw 34 passes and averaged 12.4 yards per pass. The eighth player in history to hit those marks in the same game, joining Matt Ryan, Tony Romo, Kurt Warner, Joe Montana, and then we go in the Wayback Machine, Tommy Kramer, Y.A. Tittle, and Norm Van Brocklin, who is going to come up later here shortly, this uh, Van Brocklin fellow. Now, uh, Kale, you mentioned Tyreek Hill and how his absence would hurt Kansas City's offense, and the answer appears to be not at all. This is one of those trades where it looks like a win all around. Uh, Tyreek Hill got paid. The Dolphins are a legitimate playoff contending team now, and Kansas City does not seem to have missed a beat and was able to rebuild with the draft picks they got. Um, I wrote in quick re- in quick reads this week, which came out eh, not quite 12 hours ago. Uh, Kansas City had Juju Smith-Schuster, Michael Hardman, and Marquez Valdez-Scantling all make the top wide receivers of the week. Uh, and, and Hardman did a lot of that as, as, a, as a runner. But uh, they've still got weapons all over the place. And that's not even including Travis Kelsey or any other litany of running backs. So they still have a full arsenal of ways to, to hurt you. Uh, Brian, why don't you talk a little bit about these Chiefs receivers and some of what they did in this, uh, when they did in this game? All three of those receivers are down there with records. Uh, Hardman 
is the, I believe he's the first receiver, the first wide receiver in the Super Bowl era to have two rushing touchdowns and a receiving touchdown in the same game. So you would think that maybe Debo Samuel would have picked it up, but yet, no, Hardman is the first one to get two rushing touchdowns and a reception. Well, meanwhile, Smith-Schuster and Valdez-Scantling, the hyphenated boys, they're the first Chiefs wide receivers to hit 100 yards in the same game since 2000. Derek Alexander and Sylvester Morris did it. Now, I've got, a, I've got a pretty big, deep historical database. I have no memory of Derek Alexander and Sylvester Morris or much of the 2000 Chiefs. That's an Elvis Gerbach team. That, that has completely escaped my memory entirely. I have no idea anything about that. Uh, the first Derek Alexander, team. my memory of him, and uh, this is off the top of my head, so this may not be accurate, but he, uh, he's a lot like Van Jefferson and the Rams, where about once a month he'll get a 40-yard bomb and then disappear for long stretches at a time. Yeah, I should, I should clarify that that Smith-Schuster and Valdez-Scantling are the t- first Chiefs wide receivers to have 100 yards in the same game. Because also yeah. Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill did a number of times. The number of Tony Gonzalez and, and yeah. whoever the receiver is du-, du jour. But this is the first time they've had actually two wide receivers, which is... I, I still remember when they went the whole season with Alex Smith with zero touchdown passes to wide receivers. Those days are, are long gone. Yeah. Even those uh, Trent Green, Dick Vermeule teams you mentioned, it was Tony Gonzalez as their best weapon, and, and now they've had Travis Kelsey the better part of the last decade. So, uh, And then in between, they had uh, Priest Holmes and Larry Johnson. So the, as, as great as their offenses have been over the past 20 years, really, uh, it's usually not been, not, it usually has not been about the wide receivers Tyreek Hill accepted. All right, a little bit here about the 49ers before we move on. Um <laughs> Ryan, tell me a little bit about these 49ers splits. They're, they're having some different luck in the first and second half, a lot. In the first half, the Niners look like a clear playoff team, clear division favorites. They are eighth in offensive DVOA at 17.3%. They are fourth in defensive DVOA at negative 20.4%. If games ended at halftime, the Niners, I believe, would be 5-2 and two right now, clear control of the division, clear favorites for everything. They'd be up there, probably the second-best team in the NFC. In the second half... The 49ers are 29th in offensive DVOA at negative 17.3%, so a complete uh, flip there. And they're 22nd in defense at 7.8. They get worse every quarter. Their first quarter is better than the second quarter, better than the third, better than the fourth. Uh, yeah. Part of the problem here is that the Niners aren't built to play from behind in any way, shape, or form. Jimmy Garoppolo is a perfectly good quarterback when everything's going well, but when he gets pressured, Everything goes to hell. And when the Niners, if the Niners fall behind, they have to pass and oppo- opposing defenses get the sound of the pass rushers and Jimmy Garoppolo no longer has any idea what to do. Uh, Shanahan makes these great plays that we saw against the Chiefs. The first quarter went fantastic. First half went really good. We saw Christian McCaffrey get involved despite getting the playbook like on the plane a few days before. We saw all kinds of different attacks on the Chiefs defense. Everything was creative and interesting and fun. And that all went away in the second half. Uh, this is not a trend you would like to see continue. It's probably fine in the NFC. As weak as the NFC is, the Niners probably still make the playoffs just by being that good in the first half. But that, that shows you how, uh, why there are a couple of rungs down on the top contenders and shows you might you might want to trade three first-round draft picks for a potential replacement quarterback. The, the I, You mentioned the not-built-to-come-from-behind-play-in-a-shootout. Hasn't helped much that the, you know, I hope when Christian McCaffrey isn't just reading the playbook on a red eye that he, this offense 
looks to implement him better and provides a spark. I think the combination of having two technical positionless skill position players uh, is a really interesting on paper. But one of those uh, positionless skill position players has not exactly lived up to standard this year. Debo Samuel, 55th among wide receivers in DYAR, 54th in DVOA. Uh, I believe he's up there among uh, some of the highest in the league in drops on passes. Uh, if I looked that up right on PFR earlier today, Travis Kelsey, or Travis Kelsey, Chiefs on the brand, George Kittle as well. A pretty pedestrian effort thus far in the passing game. A DYAR of eight uh, and a 17th best DVOA of minus 3.9. Just Brandon Ayuk's looks very good this year. Uh, and I understand they've had a ton of problems at the running back position that Christian McCaffrey will hopefully alleviate, but not really the production of the skill position players that we're used to in San Francisco here, which you kind of need when you've got Mr. Pedestrian himself, Jimmy Garoppolo. Debo had trouble with drops before last season too. That that it's kind of it's kind of returning to uh, uh, his his career mean a little bit here. As for Kittle, uh, he looked good against the Chiefs. I mean, he he and Ian Kittle had the he and Kelsey had the same stat line, which maybe why he got got the flipped up there. Remember, Kittle was hurt for the first two weeks, and he was slow coming back. So he's rounding into form. I I'm less concerned about George Kittle than I am about Debo Samuel, who is having trouble holding onto the ball. Well, two notes about that before we move on. Uh, you mentioned how can, uh, San Francisco has declined in the in the first half. I'm just going to either declined in the second half. Uh, here are points scored in the second half by a week. Uh, we have three points in the second half against Chicago in week one, seven against Seattle in week two, uh, three against Denver in week three, ten against the Rams in. Uh, in week uh, uh, four, uh, whichever week I lost right now, but uh, that does include a pick six by uh, uh, the yep. brilliant Talanoa Hufanga, who we're, I think we're all becoming quickly huge fans of. Uh, 20 against uh, Carolina. So, hey, they were able to beat, uh, you know, to knock Matt Rule out of the league, doing us all a favor. Uh, zero against Atlanta a week later. And then on Sunday against Kansas City, only 10. And I think that last 10, uh, no, 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 Garoppolo was still on there for that. So that has not gone well. And uh, we've mentioned the Christian McCaffrey trade, and we'll see, you know, there's still a lot of football left and see uh, how he fits into the offense more when he has more time to repair and they have more time to repair for him. But of the two running back trades this week, I would rather get James Robinson for practically nothing than to pay out the nose for Christian McCaffrey and uh, hope for the best. Uh, it, it, it's a boom or bust trade that the 49ers have made here, and, I, and it, it could go sideways very badly. Yeah, I'd rather have McCaffrey, but yeah, for the price they paid, yeah, definitely the yeah. James Robinson deal was a smarter one. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll do one last thing with the Niners here real quick. Uh, you mentioned that the last scores with Garoppolo, and you had to check that because Brock Purdy came into the game at the end. Brock Purdy is the first Mr. Irrelevant, so the last pick in the draft. He's the first Mr. Irrelevant to complete a pass in the NFL. So, way to go, Brock Purdy. You are the least irrelevant right. Mr. Irrelevant in NFL history. That is why Kelly didn't. That's uh, why Kelly never got in a game and completed one. Never completed a pass in the NFL. He's completed some in the CFL, but not the NFL. I don't think he's. I don't think Chad Kelly ever got in a game. <laughs> I'd be very surprised. Uh, you, you hope not. Yeah. <laughs> 
Generally speaking, not a good thing when Mr. Irrelevant is playing any kind of uh, important snaps anywhere. Uh, he has listed on PFR one game in 2018. He rushed one time for negative one yard. So <laughs> I'm sure they'd have sent him in and taken a knee there at the end of uh, uh, something somewhere. Human victory cigar, or maybe not. All right, moving on from the very opposite end of the quarterback spectrum from Chad Kelly to Norm Van Brocklin. Somehow, here we are in October of 2022, and uh, Norm Van Brocklin still has the single-game passing record. It just won't fall. For a while there, it looked like Joe Burrow was going to make a serious threat to, 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 to break this mark. I think he was over 350 at halftime. And uh, the Bengals called off the dogs in the second half, and he ended up not even hitting 500. But, uh, Brian, talk a little bit about this record and how Joe Burrow was threatening it for a little bit, but it still stands. Yeah, so the 554-yard mark of Norman Brocklin, I'm going to keep bringing it up until it falls. We are going to find a way to finally get Brian Brocklin off the top of these leaderboards. And Joe Burrow may well be the guy to do it. It just wasn't this week. Burrow ended up with 481 passing yards, which is the most for any player since uh, Joe Burrow threw for 500 yards against the Ravens in week 16 last year. Burrow now has two games with uh, 480-plus passing yards in his career. The only player in history with more than that is Ben Roethlisberger with four. And Burrow is still, you know, was he 24 at this point in time? He's, 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 he's just, just a baby starting out here. Just barely into his third season. And, and and missed, you know, half of his rookie year with an injury. So he hasn't even played two full seasons yet. He's the only player ever with two games with 500-plus total offensive yards, including his rushing, and four total touchdowns. He is putting up numbers we haven't seen anyone do before. Uh, and this week, you know, with the um, – uh, who did the Bengals play this week? With, with the Falcons actually providing a bit of, you know – of of pressure, there was there was a chance there that that he could have could have broken the record. The Falcons were, were punching back at the end of the first half, but they ran out of gas. So we need to we need to just have have Joe Burrow and Patrick Holmes play games every week until this record falls. That that needs to be the schedule next week next year. Just seventeen games, Bengals versus Chiefs. Just keep going until finally one of them hits five hundred and sixty yards. Yeah, what is it going to take at this point for? This record to fall, and I, I, I recognize Van Brocklin, you know, got the record with basically just no pass rush and only passing. Like, recognize that, but at some point, like, with the prevalence that we put on the passing game, there's got to be something. It, I, I mean, the only reason Burrow got into this position and looked like it was going to be a legitimate threat is because all of a sudden the Falcons just came alive in the last minute of the second quarter they put together that really long methodical 10 minute drive 16 plays 75 yards by the box score Bengals answer with one of their own and Demir Bird just breaks loose puts up his own touchdown Uh, they scored 10 points in the last minute of regular of the uh first half I don't know I, I thought of all teams this felt like the perfect storm AJ Terrell leaves with a hamstring injury. Yeah. I believe uh, they're starting safety as well. I think goes into concussion protocol, but they're losing. Uh, they're losing members of their starting secondary, especially their best player in AJ Terrell. Uh, this Falcons team all year has pretty much been the fun, scrappy sort of you know 
a lot of offensive weapons, but you know, when you don't, when you have Drake London and you have Kyle Pitts and then you throw to Drake London once and Kyle Pitts five times for three receptions, admittedly for nine yards, longest of seven, uh, you know, your fun offense uh, gets a little bit of a uh, little bit of air taken out of it. So we all thought that maybe uh, this was the opportunity. It felt like a perfect storm was brewing and then Falcons kind of fall flat. What is it going to take at this point for this to happen outside of a Chiefs Rams Monday night football esque hundred plus point shootout? Because that feels like the only thing that's going to create this kind of situation at this point. Yeah, and we're getting those kind of games more and more frequently. Eventually, this is going to fall. Eventually, someone's going to do it. We're going to have one of these back-and-forth games with Mahomes and Burrow and Allen, all these people going back up and down the field. Uh, it needs to be close competitive. That's the thing. Uh, the, the Van Brocklin's game wasn't close, but the Rams kept putting on the points because it was. I guess it wasn't the same kind of, you know, uh, deference to the other team at that point in time, where you get to that, you didn't. They didn't call off the dogs. They were throwing in the fourth quarter up a bajillion points. Just they no just, gamesmanship. Exactly. They they were a hundred percent, you know, on that. And if the because it felt like if the Bengals wanted to, they could have thrown for five hundred yards in this game. They just, you know, you, you know, call, call call the dogs, rest everybody. Yeah. It's. A, I, I think I think by the end of this game, Atlanta was starting actual Falcons in their secondary. Training <laughs> birds and not passes away. Pretty much. I'm I'm very happy to see the Bengals redoing this because the first few weeks we were destroying them because their offensive line was terrible. Yes. They were getting we were going, what's wrong with the Bengals? What's wrong with the Bengals? They have made significant uh, schematic shifts over the past two weeks. They're in shotgun a lot more now. I don't have the percentages in front of me, but they, starting last week they were started playing out a shotgun basically all the time, giving you know a couple extra seconds to the those linemen to help you know Burrow stay clean, and it's worked. They have they have seen all their offensive numbers go up. Burrow stone just one interception in his last two intercepting pass attempts after that week one game where he yeah. was throwing picks left and right. His completion rate has gone up every week over the past month. The Bengals are right of their season. Or at least they've, they've turned things around and are pointing in the right direction now. And that's that's that's, that's good to see. It's good to see at least s- some team finding their way out of their early season struggles. Just, I think just if someone's got a will to win at this point. Yeah, yeah, that too. But I think if you're a neutral fan, unless you're, unless you're a fan of either the Browns or Ravens, um, the Bengals, when they're good, are a really fun team. And it's better for the league right, that these Bengals uh, are playing well. And, and, and you know that, that week one calamity, when everything possible had to go wrong for them to lose the Steelers, still only by three points, uh, you know, four interceptions and seven sacks for Joe Burrow. Um, and, and since then, only one interception and the sack numbers are also way, way, way down. So that's probably a good thing for the NFL, that this Bengals team is playing better. Yeah, it's it's complete offensive fireworks, uh, yeah. especially with a wide receiver trio of Jamar Hayes, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. All three receivers, by the way, top 15 in DYAR. Uh, pretty impressive feat on its own, but I hope, you know, Burrow's got two of these 500-plus offensive yard games because he's got this kind of infrastructure around him. I'm glad the offensive line is finally clicking to allow him to actually have time to throw some of these longer developing passing routes and take these deeper strikes. Because when you have a wide receiver trio of this caliber, which, you know, in a 
cap-stricken league, you don't know how much longer they're going to be able to keep all of these three, uh, all of these pieces. At some point, someone's got to get paid, and right now, it feels like Tyler Boyd might be the odd man out because just yep. the youth and the skill set of both Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Yep. But right now, just strike all the irons hot. Just let it loose. This is uh, this is uh, the one of the most fun dynamic offenses. Feels almost Madden esque. If not for you know the Kansas City Chiefs existing, which we already talked about, and credit to Zach Taylor for changing things up. There are a lot of coaches who, when something's not working, they just say, "No, this is the system. This is the plan. We just got to keep working and execute better." No, we're going to shift. We're going to go in a shotgun a lot. We're going to give our quarterback extra time. There are Zach Taylor's gotten a lot of uh, of hate over the past you know past month, but credit where credit is due for actually noticing a problem and doing something substantial to actually try to fix it. Just get out of the way and let them cook. Yes. Okay. Uh, so Joe Burrow is playing well. Patrick Mahomes is playing well. Uh, those are two young quarterbacks who are shining. But we have some older quarterbacks who are starting to struggle badly. And no, it's not just Russell Wilson. Uh, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers both have losing records through seven games. This is the first time in Aaron Rodgers' career that he has had a losing record after seven games. The first time since 2002. Uh, how old were we all in 2002? I was, I was 27 years old. Um, it was the last time Tom Brady had a losing record this deep into the season. Yeah, I, I was a junior in high school. I was five. Yeah. Okay. So I thought you were going to say maybe I'm not even been more. All right. Uh, so things are going badly. Yes. But not, should we think that the things are going badly? for Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, for the standard they've set themselves. They're not doing, say, because of what Russell Wilson is doing in Denver or Matt Ryan was doing in Indianapolis. They are still above average in DVOA, if only just. Brady's DVOA right now is at 8.6%. That would be his the fourth worst mark in his career and the worst since 2019, and we all called him washed because doing had no receivers and whatnot. Uh, Aaron Rodgers' DVOA is 4.9%, which is his second worst mark in his career, and the worst since 2015, which is when uh, that, that that was the fractured collarbone year, I, be, I believe that was, and he came back a little bit early to try to you know rush the package in the playoffs and just was not physically able to play like Aaron Rodgers was. So they're doing very bad by their standards, but they haven't been terrible by just every quarterback that we can see standards. It's just that the t- these teams are built around their quarterbacks playing at MVP and GOAT levels, and when they're not, all the other problems they have just all of a sudden get put into sharp relief. I think that's what's really what's going on here. The Buccaneers can't run. They can't block. No. And uh, if they can't run, they can't block, and their quarterback's not playing fantastic, you, do, you don't get great results. Uh, they can't I- catch. We <laughs> saw Mike Evans with a terrible drop touchdown. Um, I think part of the perception of, of, of why it feels like they're playing much worse than they are is that the one thing they're both still very, very good at is avoiding interceptions. Uh, Tom Brady leads the league right now. He's only thrown one pick. Interception rate of 0.3%. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has three picks. He is fourth in interception rates. So they're still great at that. But when it comes to actually moving the ball downfield, they're subpar. They're not horrible. They're subpar. Tom Brady is 23rd in yards per pass. Uh, I had it right here. Aaron, Aaron Rodgers is 26th. So... They're not making the plays we're used to see. We're used to seeing. They're not making the mistakes a lot of other quarterbacks make. But um, th- those offenses are, are are sputtering quite a bit. Yeah. And that's not you're not you're not paying them to play mistake-free football. You're you're paying them to win championships. 
Yeah, and a lot of the structural mistakes within, like Brady, for example, there is some, finally at 45, we're seeing some of the age show where the bread and butter offense of New England and sort of early Tampa Bay, mainly Tom Brady as a whole, was just finding success on these really quick developing short to intermediate passes over the middle, which Brady's lost a little bit of zip on that ball. Uh, Brady has now been the subject and will be the subject of back-to-back any given Sundays. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers have somehow avoided uh, being three-peat offenders uh, after losing to both New York teams and the Commanders. Uh, Green Bay is being let down a little bit by a defense that people thought would be a lot better coming into the season than it's actually been. Green Bay's defense currently sitting at 25th in total defensive DVOA. Brady's offense is it's it's really tough to watch. The the you know the drops by Mike Evans, Godwin was uh additionally uh, a pretty big letdown. Uh the Tampa Bay Buccaneers should just never run the ball again. Uh EPA per play, <laughs> uh the Tampa Bay Buccaneers run offense is a full tenth of a point below 31st place. Uh, they are bottom of the league with a negative 0.292 rush EPA per play, uh, followed up by the Colts, who are a negative 0.197. That's by RBSDM. Uh, a couple of things I've specifically noticed about Brady. He's always been really quick to throw, but especially in Tampa, this is the shortest time to throw that Brady's ever had in the league by Nets Gen stats. It's well below. 2.5 uh, 2.5 seconds at this point. Aaron Rodgers, by the way, is second in lowest time to throw. Uh, Brady's offense also uh, really starting to shrink down to the short and intermediate part of the field after it felt like Bruce Arians had really allowed Brady to you know stretch downfield and take these strikes. Uh, Brady's air yards to the sticks is the lowest it's been since being in Tampa Bay. Uh, I had that number here. It was minus 0.4 last year. I think it was 0.5 his first year. And now this year, it's down all the way to minus 1.3. So on times especially like third down, they're just not getting downfield. When passing on third down, they're just not actually throwing to the first down marker and trying to get these down uh, with the addition of not just, just not being able to run the ball at all. Uh, It's been a real problem for this Tampa Bay offense to get things moving. Our one big concern about the Buccaneers coming in was the offensive line, especially the interior offensive line with all the players replaced and all the injuries. And that's lived up to, uh, to our fears. They are currently 28th in ESPN's pass block win rate. And they're 31st in run DVOA. They're not getting any push on the offensive line. That's why Brady's time to throw is so low. That's why his area to the stick is so low. He knows he's got to get the ball out immediately because he's going to have six defenders in his lap 2.5 seconds later. And even on film, when he has time, it looks like he doesn't. Like, it looks like he's just trying to process because that is the function of the offense at this point. It's not quite total, you know, shell shock, Sam Darnold seeing ghosts, but he knows that, you know, on most plays, he's not going to have that time for passes to develop. And when they do, stuff like the Mike Evans play happens where, you know, if he doesn't just knee the ball to himself and it slips through his fingers, 
it's a pretty big score. Like the shots are there downfield. It's just most of the time he does not have the time to get there. It it feels like the Buccaneers though have things they can do to make to make things better. It feels like uh, there are some execution things. Mike Evans is not going to drop passes over and over again. Uh, you talk more play action. The Buccaneers have pretty much abandoned play action, which is very weird. I know they're not running well, but you don't need to run well for play action to work. We we established that time and time again. You know, do something to to bite to to cut off the bite of the pass rush against them to help out your offensive line. And I still think the Buccaneers' offense can be more than acceptable. Maybe not the level we, we were used to seeing, but at least w- way more acceptable to win the uh, win the NFC South and perhaps go on a run there. I, the but thing, I feel like that's salvageable. The thing is, play action eats up time, and that's the one thing the Buccaneers just have not had. But, but it also at least makes the, the pass rush at least think they might need to do something other than just zero in on the old man and behind center. Yeah. Hey, the, the, the time to throw stats are kind of a, a, a chicken or egg question because as Tom Brady – uh, throwing, I mean, is it the quarterback throwing quickly to avoid the pass rush, or is that pressure is getting there and forcing him to throw quickly? So, whether you know, that's kind of a the, the answer is probably both, yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, whether the quarterback is driving that or the pressure driving that is not always hard to say. The or, fact that it's gone down over the last three years is the yeah. only thing that's been an indicator yeah. to me that it's additionally now influenced by the offensive line and not just within the structure of Brady. There is a writer on the Football Outsiders staff who picks Tom Brady to as the player most likely to decline every season. And uh, that writer is me. And uh, the thing is, numerically, he has declined, obviously, uh, this year. But I don't feel like doing a victory lap because when you watch the Bucks play, it feels like he is still their best offensive player. <laughs> There's a lot going wrong on Tampa Bay. It's not certainly not all the quarterback, probably not mostly the quarterback. We're talking about the run game. I think this is a case where the simple raw totals tell us a lot about this rushing offense. They're last in the league uh, with 451 total rushing yards now through uh, seven games, right? Yeah, seven games. Uh, They're last in the league with 3.0 yards per carry. And Mecole Hardman had as many rushing touchdowns against San Francisco as Tampa Bay Buccaneers had all season. That's bad. Yeah, they're not getting anything from the running game, putting it all on the shoulders of a 45-year-old quarterback who's not the yeah. same player he is he used to be. It's just not going to work. No, and neither the same players he used to be as Aaron Rodgers, who are uh, also 3-4 and four now, uh, losing to a commander's team. Even uh, uh, was a little bit fluky. Uh, DVOA actually had Packers ahead in the game, but that's you know that doesn't count. You don't get credit for that. Uh, Aaron Rodgers after the game said losing might be the best thing for us. And well, he's helping. <laughs> Rodgers is currently averaging 4.2 air yards per completion. That's the lowest in the NFL. The offense is basically entirely flats and slants at this point in time. And despite all that dinking and dunking, he still has his lowest on target pass percentage in sports info solutions uh, data history, which only goes back to 2015. So he's throwing less accurately and shorter than he has ever done in his career. And he does not clearly does not trust any of his wide receivers because that's always a thing, right? You know, the Packers offense traditionally, oh, things are going to go wrong. Well, I'm just going to look for Devontae Adams. I know where he's going to be. I'm going to throw it to him and everything's going to be fine. He doesn't, Rodgers doesn't have the trust in anyone like that at this point. And that includes the head coach because this is, you know, LaFleur comes out of this whole Shanahan system. You expect to see lots of play action, a lot of, lot of motion, a lot of destruction. We're not seeing any of that reportedly because Aaron Rodgers doesn't like that 
well, does he like what the offense currently looks like? Because, you know, it's not good. I was going to say, do you like winning MVPs, Aaron? It's the offense that won you two straight. Uh, it's also, I, you know, we talked about Kansas City and not being affected by Tyreek Hill. This, <laughs> there's been no greater indication of the opposite than Green Bay losing Devontae Adams. Uh, you know, they cannot seem to find a receiver that has stuck outside of maybe Alan Lazard, and even he's been banged up a little bit, which hasn't helped things. Yeah. No, you could argue that the Packers have not really had a good game since week two when they beat Chicago 27-10. to 10. Uh, Since then, they beat Tampa Bay on a game that came down to a tail two-point conversion. They beat Bailey Zappi and the Patriots in overtime. And since then, they've lost three in a row to the Giants, the Jets, and now the Commanders. So we're going up on uh, five weeks without a good Green Bay win, and uh, it's probably going to be six because Sunday night they are playing at the Buffalo Bills, who are doing a lot better. That has the tendency to that that might. The, the, it's rare that you see a, a definitive. This is the end of this team's competitive window. The Sunday night game against the Bills might be one of those, you know, uh, one of those definitive games where, at the, where we go, oh, this is the point where the Packers' window slammed shut. This this was the final nail in their coffin when the Bills beat them sixty-three to zero in front of a national audience or something like that. Because this is not going to go well. I I can't imagine it. It's also I think uh, this is the first time Aaron Rodgers has ever been a double digit underdog. Uh, yes. Ten and a half point dogs to the Bills. Just if if there was ever a cry for help in Green Bay, it's that. You know what's funny? This didn't occur to me until just now. This probably tells you a lot about how far the Packers have fallen. I heard the stat about this is the first time in his career that Aaron Rodgers is a 10-point underdog. It didn't even occur to me to say, really? Who's their opponent? <laughs> I just said, yeah, that fits. there's a lot of teams right now that I would favor by 10 points more <laughs> over the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, the, it, yeah, you know, talking about these two struggling quarterbacks, it really feels like Brady and the Bucks are going to be, not if not fine, they are going to get things turned around. Better than they have been. Yeah, the pa- the Packers are not. I don't. I do not see. <laughs> I don't see them turning around. Partially because they don't have the wide receivers, and partially because I do not see Aaron Rodgers and Lafleur getting on the same page about what to do about things. I, it feels like this is very much a quarterback running the show, and the quarterback doesn't have any answers at this point in time. Yeah, there's a difference between you know some schematic changes you can make, even in. You know, even in the case of this week against Carolina for Tampa Bay, like there were some run fit issues on the defense that caused some big plays. There were some tackling issues. Those are things that with a top 10 defense uh, defense by DVOA, like those are things that could be coached. Those are things that could be fixed. You cannot repair just the uh, just, you know, awful vibes in, in Green Bay, just the uh, like they're in a human game i i know this is a the stat show in a human game there's just like some emotional things and especially with a guy like rogers uh just some emotional and human element things that at this point you just look irreparable just look like you cannot fix i think the other reason it feels so much worse in green bay for green bay is that they're looking up in minnesota in standings and I don't think anyone feels Minnesota is really as good as their 5-1 record, but they're probably, that, that, that's a, the fact is they have a 5-1 record. 
and Green Bay has got a lot of ground to make up. Tampa Bay, somebody has to win this NFC South, and somehow they are still tied for first place at three and four. So yeah. <laughs> the, the Tampa Bay's have to get back to the playoffs is much easier than Green Bay's. Yeah, they may just be a fourth seed, but you know they, that means they have time to get things uh, uh, figured out. Because yeah. you don't need to be good for the first four uh, four months of the season. You just got to get in. You got to be good for the last four games. And then the NFC, yeah. that, that's doubly true this year. Because there are going to be some pretty bad teams getting into the playoffs in the NFC. So it's who's going to get hot over the last month to get blown out by the Bills or Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I will say it is dire that it's, it's impressive that despite the loss, uh, they really didn't lose any ground because the Saints and the Falcons both lost. But I will say, if the Panthers win next week, the Buccaneers lose next week, the Carolina Panthers will be in sole possession of first place in the NFC South. PJ Walker, XFL supremacy. Here we go. If you are a fan of chaos, you are cheering for that with all your heart. Now, you mentioned uh, there's going to be some weaker teams in the NFC playoff field. Uh, we're including the New York Giants in that. Even though they are 6-1, and one, they are still have a negative DVOA. Over the course of the season, they have played like a below-average football team. Uh, they're one of only two 6-1 and one teams to ever have a negative DVOA. The other was Washington in 1982, which was the strike year. But uh, that Washington team, despite playing, you know, getting some lucky wins in their first seven games, they did go on to win the Super Bowl. So don't write off the Giants just yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The trophy shines just as brightly, even if you're an, even if you're not a historically great team. It's okay. The, the twenty-two Giants. There's all kinds of stuff. We 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 could put up the the worst X and X teams every week. We we had a whole segment on them last week. We'll probably have a whole segment on them next week if they win again. They're the only team in NFL history to start six and one or better with each game decided by one possession. These are all very close games and the Giants have just won the vast majority of their coin flips. They joined the 2000 Vikings as the only team to win six games by eight or fewer points in the first seven weeks of the season. They joined the 99 Lions and 2004 Jaguars as the only teams to win five games as underdogs in the first seven games of the season. The Giants are getting up there with the historic lists of the fortunate, lucky teams. But, and I'll say this, the Giants of the last four weeks have been solid. Over the last four weeks, they are fifth in offensive DVOA, and they are 19th in defensive DVOA. That's a perfectly perfectly solid set of, set of numbers. Over the last month, the Giants have been playing like a winning football team. Their first three weeks, they were not. They were terrible. They were very fortunate to get wins. But now they're beginning to play up to, maybe not six and one, but they're being playing up to a playoff contender level at this point in time. So they've banked these early wins and now are beginning to actually get the substance behind them. Listen, we talked, we just talked Carolina. Matt Rule can cite Jay-Z all he wants. It does not take seven years to turn a franchise around. Exhibit A, Brian Dable. Uh, what they're doing on the offense is, is fascinating to me, if only because one, they're doing it with Daniel Jones, which I've never seen a team's owner get up to the podium at the end of the season uh, with the definitive end of their last era of head coach GM pairing uh, by starting off the press conference, basically saying, and not even basically saying, literally saying, uh, we couldn't have done a worse job screwing up this quarterback. Uh, they're in for a very interesting decision uh, in the offseason when Daniel Jones' contract is up. But the fact that they're doing this all with like really unique personnel, like the, you know, throwing out 32 personnel on some routes and the fact that they're doing all of this without their, 
I think like three of their top four wide receivers is yeah. is really, really impressive to me. I, I, I'm consistently blown away. You know, the luck is one thing and, you know, Wink Martindale running cover zero with these guys, you know, but it's, I'm, I'm consistently impressed with how the Giants have been able to pull some of these games out. Yeah, uh, we got a question on our, on our boards about why uh, I, think, I think the Giants are ninth in pass offense DVOA over the year, and someone asked why that was, and the, the biggest answer is because pass offense DVOA ratings include quarterback scrambles, and Jones has been electric on scrambles this year. I think he's first or second in yards on scrambles, first or second in first downs, so uh, that strikes me as another thing that's kind of unsustainable. I don't he hasn't he hasn't been that kind of quarterback in his first four years. Uh, I'm not sure uh, uh, that that's going to last long, but hey, again, they're six and one. Uh, and th- those six wins are in the bank. You can't take them off the board. Yeah. So even if they're 500 the rest of the season, they make the playoffs. Right. You know, they're, 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 all they have to do is be average, and they've been above that for the past month. You know, they yeah. got coach of the year locked up, right? We, we, I think we all agree on that. That that no one's going to take that away from him. Pretty much going very well <laughs> yes. it's going very well uh things are also going well or at least have gone well to this point for the other new york team uh the jets now uh, uh it's not written down here they're five and two right yeah yes. they're five, five and two in playoff position looking like a wild card team and they've yet to play a normal game they've played seven games at this point in time and in seven of them a quarterback has missed the game due to injury or suspension zach wilson was out for three games Deshaun watson was obviously suspended both Tua Tagovailoa and Teddy Bridgewater missed the Dolphins game. Russell Wilson was out for the Broncos game. The only game where both starters actually played was against the Steelers, and that's the game where Mitch Trubisky got benched at halftime. So the so the Jets have played a very very weird season at this point in time, and now unfortunately they're going to have to play the rest of this season without both Brees Hall and uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, which is that that is a heck of a one-two punch to try to recover from. They'll also be missing Corey Davis for the foreseeable future, who has a sprained MCL. And with the way things look right now with Elijah Moore, it kind of looks like they'll just be left with Garrett Wilson and Denzel Mims, who has somehow not managed to be traded yet, uh, was a healthy scratch up until uh, Moore's uh, spontaneous vacation uh, and decided not to travel with the team. Mims got his first catch since week 12 of last year so he's trending upwards is what you're saying yes. trending upwards but lots of injuries in new york way more reason to be skeptical of the jets and the giants and they face the most difficult schedule the rest of the way according to dvoa so hey it's 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 fun to see them here they're four and oh since zach wilson came back but that we we don't expect that to last much longer all right we are quickly running out of time so let's just touch on some of these news and notes a requiem for matt ryan whose days as a starting quarterback in the NFL appear to be done. Uh, 32nd out of 34 qualified quarterbacks in DVOA. 5.7 air yards per pass attempt, lowest in the NFL. Most blitz quarterback in the league, probably because he's throwing like 80 passes a game or something. Uh, and and th- this is all bad, and it's gone, going to go beyond just uh, uh, 2022 because there are cap ramifications of the Colts redoing his deal. Yeah, because because the Colts restructured him in March, uh, he will cost the uh, Indianapolis eighteen million dollars in dead cap if they if they do in fact cut him after the season, which I can't imagine they wouldn't cut him after the season after they benched him for you know Sam Ellinger. 
that 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 last one's a self-inflicted wound. They they moved six million dollars to next year because they were sure you know Matt Ryan was coming to the building. He was going to make them make them great contenders. He was the best quarterback they had seen since any since Andrew Luck, since Peyton Manning. All these kind of things being thrown around. And no, after a bit of a dead cat bounce last week where he looked okay, everything just crashed out. He's he's done. And it, it's a sad ending. You hate seeing someone go to to to, to a different team and just and just utterly crater because he wasn't the same Matt Ryan he had been in like 2017, 2016. That that had gone. You know, he had been going downhill for the last couple of years, but this was just you know just everything flopped at the last minute here. And it, 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 it's sad to see, see see someone like that go out on this note. Matt, it's it's bad to see Matty Ice melting. I will say, best, if he looked like the best quarterback since Andrew Luck, he has certainly not played like it. Uh, his tenure in Indianapolis is the worst by DVOA since Curtis Painter in 2011 <laughs> and, and ranks fifth worst all time in the history of the franchise. And that is, yes, uh, by both Indianapolis and Baltimore Colts standards. <laughs> Uh, ranks behind uh, Painter. Uh, I have this here. One sec. Uh, yes. Uh, fifth is Matt Ryan. Fourth is two seasons of Jeff George. Second is Curtis Painter. And number one is Jack Trudeau in 1986 Ooh. with a DVOA of negative 34.3%. This, of course, dates back to 1981, where our DVA records go back to. Having a much better year. Then Matt Ryan is Nick Chubb with the Cleveland Browns uh, during some elite company this week, Brian. Yeah, yeah. Nick Chubb has taken over the, the mantle of best running back in football, although that is a very cursed mantle uh, in the modern day. But he has, he joins a very elite list. He has eight rushing scores already. He Only the Danian Tomlinson, Jim Brown, Emmett Smith, and Adrian Peterson had eight rushing scores in each of their first five years. And Chubb has joined that list. And that's pretty much the one thing going well for Cleveland at this point in time. So at least they have Nick Chubb to watch. Yeah. Anything this offense can do to take the ball out of Jacoby Brissett's hands at the moment uh, is probably for the best. Uh, sticking in the AFC North, Kenny Pickett has, uh, uh, I was going to say revitalized the Steelers offense, but I don't think that's the right word to use. He's done something to the series offense, and uh, I'm not sure we can describe what it is uh, on, on a show like this. Pickett has thrown seven interceptions in his first uh, four games, which puts him in, in pretty elite company. The only other rookie to throw five or more interceptions in their first four games and not get benched along the way is Terry Bradshaw. So, you know, he's just living up to the long legacy of successful quarterbacks in Pittsburgh, you know. <sighs> Pickett. And... Uh... Yeah. Unless you have something to say about Kenny Pickett. I'm left speechless by that one. Living living up true to the brand, I guess, yeah. uh, question mark. Yeah. He's, he's a Pittsburgh another... boy through and through. That, 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 what, what else can you say? <laughs> and yeah, one just... last footnote here. Trayvon Diggs of the Dallas Cowboys gets uh, another interception and is joining – he's also joining some, uh, some very good company. Yeah, he's, he's up to 17 interceptions in his career, which is tied for the most since 2020. But only and only three players in the past quarter century have had more interceptions than Diggs had in their first three seasons. That's Ed Reed, Richard Sherman, and Marcus Peters. So that that that's a pretty good secondary you got going on there too. I, I know Diggs got a lot of maybe fortunate interception luck last year, but he's 
he's keeping it up. He, you know, he's he, he's not going to ever pick off pick, pass it the same rate he did in 2021, but he's still, you know, he's still out there making plays, and Dallas is in a great position. I'm at least satisfied, not satisfied, but I, I am impressed that it's not just the total reversion of last year where it was 10 interceptions and 1,000 passing yards yeah. allowed or 900 by Sports Info Solutions standards. Has tapered down a bit. Uh, he's now only allowing 9.3 yards per target compared to the 11.2 it was yeah. allowing last year. An impressive pass breakup stat. He already has 10 on the year. His career high in 2020 is 11, and he had nine last year. Having 10 through seven games is is something. If you're not turning all those interceptions, that's fine. But at least you're making an active contribution to break up about half of your targets. He's allowed 16 of 32 targets this year, which not fantastic when they're going for, you know, basically a first down every time. But, you know, at least you're, you know, you're making the impact when you're getting targeted if they're not catching it. Yeah, he's, he's kind of a boom and bust cornerback, which is a very weird th- weird concept, but that's work- it's working out for Dallas. And with him and with Micah Parsons near, near the top of any kind of pressure or sack rate looking at, Dallas's defense, I mean, all will cut to Cooper Rush for, you know, playing mistake-free football for most of his time. The defense is what kept them in the race. That's that's, that's why they're, they look... They look to be the favorites for the top wildcard spot. I don't think they're catching Philadelphia at this point in time, but they look, you know, they're going to be, we might get Buccaneers-Cowboys first, first round of the playoffs. That seems like a, the, the safest bet we have at the moment. I'm still surprised right, that they're sitting behind New York right now. That is going to do it for us this week. I do want to thank one more time our friends at Underdog Fantasy. You can play on Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100 with promo code OUTSIDERS. Even with NFL best ball season over, Underdog has other user-friendly game formats to spice up all the games. You can try their Battle Royale, a six-round best ball-style draft with simpler chances to win than traditional daily fantasy sports sites. Or try their Pick'em games, where you can wager on players' chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines, even in states where traditional prop betting currently isn't available. Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy site around. Join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com. Or download Underdog in the App Store and use promo code Outsiders now to double your first deposit up to one hundred dollars. So thank you very much to Underdog. Thank you very much to Brian Knowles. Thank you very much to Gail Clinton for filling in today. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back with another show next week.